This is always carry a body bag. <laughs> is it though? <laughs> I don't know what it is. This is always broomstick your body bags. No, that sounds is... wrong. <laughs> I'll broomstick you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh man. No, put your clothes back on. We gotta start. Doing oh, this come podcast. on, just a little break. No. Okay. No. A real intro it's now. A, it's cold in here. It is cold in here. Hey, peeps. This is Always Carry a Body Bag, and I'm your host, Dave Deluxe, sitting here once again with... Who? Lauren Riot. That was... I'm supposed to say that name. Hey, peeps. <laughs> That's what you said. <laughs> Man. I'm be jocking my shit. I know I got all the slang. Everybody... <laughs> This is Always Carry a Body Bag, and I'm your host, Dave Deluxe, sitting here with Lauren Riot. Hello. And we have part three, the final saga of Miss Belle Gunnis. It's going to be fun. It's gonna. There's a lot of conspiracy theories. We're gonna... the, the farmer. Yep. She was an alien. She had a nickname for a while called the Vamp Killer. Which I really liked. It makes her sound like a vampire slayer. That's why I like it. That's yeah, the real reason. Yeah. I like vamp as a term for bad bitches. But anyway. It's yeah. when she burns everything down at the end. Does she burn it down? I don't know. Mm, who burned it down? The heat mechanism. Guess what? We'll never know. We'll never know. We'll never know. So, spoiler, we'll never know. We have some business to take care of. We do. Uh, we have our first Sausage King patron that isn't me. Watch Which means out. I can stop paying us $10 a month <laughs> to be a Sausage King. Our first Sausage King patron is Katie. Holla. And since we are going to be giving away our true crime books to whomstever is in the Sausage Kings, and we only have one Sausage King, I just did a quick drawing, and congratulations, Katie. You won Hell's Princess by Harold Schechter was a hard decision. Yeah. It was you the choice between it. you or me. <laughs> Where we last left off, Belle had gotten a cake and some toys for her kids, and she was playing with them. I remember now. Everything was great, and her handyman, Joe Maxson, had said goodnight, bid them farewell, gone to bed. Yeah, she picked up two jugs of kerosene. I don't know why kids would be playing with kerosene, but hey, back in the day, you got to have fun with what you... Can't ball and stick. Yeah, it was different times. The wheel and stick thing. Kids were laborers. They worked in coal mines. A little kerosene. Fun times. Yeah. All right. Where we last left off, Joe Maxson had gone to bed. When he woke up in the morning, he smelled smoke. And he thought Bill Gunnis was cooking him breakfast. Yeah, little did he know, he got out of bed and realized the house was super on fire. Like super on fire and he grabbed a couple of things ran out of the house kind of just like whoo like losing his shit doesn't know what to do it's like the the little rascals fire montage when everything is like fast forward and they're running around i mean what would you do if your house was on fire you would probably immediately run outside right and then you'd realize oh my gosh there's a woman and three children inside. Wait, I have to go back in. I've got to go back in. That's exactly what he did. He ran outside. He grabbed a couple of things. He ran outside. And then he got to the front door. He tried to kick it in. It didn't work. He went and he got a hatchet. He tried to get to the door. But the fire was too much. So he ran for the neighbors. 
Oh, my God. At this point, the house was just totally in- encompassed in flames. There was no way they were going to save the house. There's no way they were going to save anybody inside. So was she planning on doing herself in and the kids with this fire? She didn't leave a note. Okay. So we do not officially know who started the fire, why, or what their motivation was. And we won't know. But we're going to run through a number of theories. Those include Ray Lamphere's confessions, multiple confessions with different stories, and the speculations of townspeople. It was, we are never going to know. So this is how she goes out. Is it? This is, I, I don't know. I don't know the end of this Bell Gunness story because I haven't read the book or listened to anything else on Bell Gunness, but she's dead in the fire with her kids? Is she? Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, I mean that remains oh, to be seen. Let's okay. go through let's, let's go through the story this. and I can't wait. I'm like you, you and also you five listeners, six listeners, you tell us what you think. You tell us which of these theories Yeah. Which of these theories makes the most sense to you? I don't you. know. I, I'm so excited. I, I'm like shaking right now. I got goosebumps. I did I'm you just, did come I, home kind of I, pale today. I, Are you okay? No, I, I'm just playing. It's a the the morbid uh, one of them oh. always says that like, <laughs> oh, I got goosebumps right now. I just got chills. Oh my god! You're thinking of Ash. I got, I got like, yeah. She says things like, I I literally can't breathe right now. But yeah. I I like her. She's got that Gen Z, je ne sais quoi. He goes to the neighbors, Joe Maxson. He goes to the neighbors. He's got the neighbors trying to figure out where the kids sleep, how to get to them, which rooms to hack into, and they just can't even get in. So what ends up happening, long story short, for this dramatic story for the fire, there are actually a ton of historical details for what happened because everyone gave testimony because this case turned out so big. Basically, the all of the neighbors got a fire brigade together and they assumed that there was no getting Belle and her kids out of the fire after a pretty short amount of time. But they still were trying to save as much as they could, including their bodies, because even I think even more in this time, people's bodies were sacred, burials were sacred. Yeah. And, and they are. But I think in this time, people recognize that a little bit more. So they had a, a bucket brigade that was going across town from the lake. Yeah. To put out the fire. Again, Little Rascals-ish. Oh, I have a note here where uh, there's this this sheriff. And just talking, we talked in the last episode about how the author describes women. Yeah. And when they go to get the sheriff for for dealing with the fire, just before the fire, the bucket brigade gets started, there's this description about this sheriff, Albert Schmutzer, who's going to become a figure in the story. But here's the description, and compare this to how this author writes about the way Bell Gunnis looks, and then how he's going to talk about how Liz Smith, a character that's coming up, looks also a woman, obviously. He says, his best-known newspaper photograph shows a round-faced fellow with a large, neatly trimmed mustache and an incongruously snazzy outfit, knitted turtleneck sweater beneath a nicely tailored wool jacket with a peaked leather cap riding jauntily on his head. He liked to travel in style, too, in stark contrast to his neighbor's horse-drawn modes of transportation. He tooled around town in a snappy red Ford runabout. It's such a stark difference between that and, like, she was a dumpy 300-pound Norwegian lady who couldn't write and was basically illiterate. (laughs) He's, like, on the cover of GQ. Yeah. And meanwhile, this guy is just, like, you know, the town cop. (laughs) 
And he did, he, he did, I mean, he did say he had a round face, but he makes it sound really nice. He was probably, he, I imagine him as Wilford Brimley. Yeah, 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 I could see that. So once the Bucket Brigade got started, there were only three walls of the house still standing, and the house Jesus. collapsed into the cellar. So it was just this big open pit, and the newspapers described it and said, Several years ago, this house was associated with a mystery. Today, it is a funeral pyre. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's just really dramatic, like all of the newspaper clippings, and I'm going to read a bunch of them, and it's going to take a ton of the episode. In any case, they, they finally put out the fire, and, uh, and it was big town drama, like everybody from town was around the farm. And this was just the beginning, because people were about to descend on this farm like nobody's business. It was about to become this huge spectacle, which just goes to show that I think that an interest in true crime and what nasty things people do to each other is it's a part of our human nature that we're fascinated by it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Conchos. There he was like, the lady who killed all the guys at her farm, her house just burned down. <laughs> yeah, well, they all knew. Yeah, they all knew. After they did this bucket brigade and the house was basically smoldering coals, they started digging for the bodies. They assumed that everybody inside was dead. They started digging for the bodies. And after a little while, they hit something soft with their shovel. And they were all there, Mrs. Gunnis and her three children. The original reports said the bodies of the mother and her children were found piled up together, indicating that the mother had evidently made an effort to escape from the house with the children clinging to her. So in the beginning of this story, Belle is being revered as a hero. Philip, the youngest child, was it looked like he had been wrapped in a blanket. And so it looked like she had wrapped a quilt around him to protect him from the fire. And that the other kids had run to her so that they could escape and that they had all died together. And for the totally gross aficionados of the podcast, some of the reports described the bodies, which I'll, I'll read you. They described the remains of Philip as the boy whose face was black with a hole in the forehead evidently from a falling brick. Its limbs below the knees had been burned away. The child's mouth was open, silent testimony to the agony of death. The little girls who night previous had breathed a tender prayer, lisping the words, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, were but a semblance of human beings who a few hours previous lived in the smile of their master. Their, wow. The newspapers at the time were so dramatic. So they described the bodies as blackened and dismembered and that they said that they presented with the most ghastly appearance. And then when they talk about Belle Gunnis, She's an unrecognizable mass with the bones protruding through the naked flesh, rendering her remains more appalling. Huh. Was the absence Again, the writer. Was the absence of her head. Wow. It, and this is what is a part of the mystery of this case because in cremation and in instances of fire, the skull due in part to the shape and thickness of the bone is the last thing that that incinerates. And so it's usually the thing that is absolutely available. So, you know, absolutely remains in a fire is the skull. Belgonis' skull, not there. So at first it was like the diggers in the ruins have yet to find the skull. The spoiler is they're never going to find the skull. Somebody could have removed the skull. But they would have had to remove it before the fire because the house was observed from the point of the fire. Joe Maxson 
was there and then people were trying to fight the fire that whole time. So someone would have had to go in to take her head before the fire consumed the house, if that was the case. Or one of the diggers? Well, they were all being, there were multiple diggers, so they were all being observed. I don't think anybody could have absconded with a head. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. And and why would they want Belgunis' head? And so this part is really sad. They reported that only one of her children escaped a fire, and it was Jenny Gunnis, who was in California at school. But we don't think Jenny Gunnis was away at school. I think she's a lot closer to the fire than they thought. Yeah. So at first, everybody said Ray Lamphere disappeared. At first, everybody was like, oh, where's Ray Lamphere? He was going to burn down the house. He was immediately a suspect in the fire. And it turns out he had gone to work at his regular farm that morning. And they came out to the, the deputies came out to arrest him. They, they told him what happened. And they're like, you know, so what do you think of it? And he says, did the women and her three children get out of the building? Well, and, after all that and their confrontation, that's pretty cool that that's what he said. Yeah. he And he confessed right away that he had seen the fire from a distance. And they said, why didn't you say anything? And he said, I didn't think it was any of my business. And if he was at work, he could have been far away. Sure, let's make a bunch of excuses for Ray. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I mean, mean, if you see a fire and you're... Where where exactly was his work where he could... He saw the fire from work? Right. They Well, they asked why he didn't yell. And he said he didn't think it was any of his business. So, anyway, that actually seems to implicate him in the eyes of the community at the time. Mm -hmm. So they take him to jail to interrogate him. And at the time, they called those sweatings. And interestingly, later on, his confessions will be discussed in court. And the local police and prosecutors are going to be like, oh, we don't do sweatings like they do in Chicago. But they totally did. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely did. They tried to act like they were way above it, but they're definitely not. Is this a uh, family annihilator? I don't. I don't think this is a family annihilator. They well, first of all, they weren't his family, so it wouldn't be technically no, even if her. he did it. Oh well, yeah. If it was her, then yeah. she would be a family annihilator. I mean, yeah, we're gonna hear all the theories and, and yeah. what could possibly happen, but it's gonna end up being an if it was her. But there is a theory that is really fun. Way at the end, you have to listen to the whole thing. And I have a feeling we're going to go well over an hour with this. Okay, let's do it. So at the beginning of all of his interrogations, Ray says, I was afraid I'd be blamed for starting the fire. And he tells them, he admits that he was spending the night with a black woman named Elizabeth Smith. And I mentioned that she's black because this is Indiana, the really unofficial headquarters of the KKK. People are super racist. And this book and all of the newspaper articles associated use some really disgusting terms for Elizabeth Smith or Liz Smith or Lizzie. She's a kin. She's known by uh, several different words that I will not, I'm not going to use. And I actually crossed out in the book because I didn't like seeing them. Uh-huh. And just to give a little bit of perspective, the author points out that shortly after the Gunnis fire, Indiana would become home to the largest branch of the KKK. And the membership was around 250,000, which was one quarter of the white-born male population. 
So a quarter of the white men in Indiana were in, the, in KKK. the KKK. So in uh, and so in this story, just to introduce Elizabeth Smith a little bit, or Liz Smith, as she was mostly known by people who referred to her by her name. She had been a super babe. Everybody had always known her as this really hot chick. And she was kind of a badass. And she, she really did her own thing. By the time the Bell Gunnis fire or the Gunnis Farm fire happened, she was in her 70s. And she was kind of on the skinny side. And she was older. And I will also say that the author just describes her horribly. <laughs> But one of the things that he says is that Ray Lamphere is a man evidently blessed with a highly with highly flexible standards of female beauty. Oh my gosh! It's he says cast out by his nearly three hundred pound lover Bell Gunnis, he had found comfort in the bed of the spindle shanked Elizabeth Smith. So Ray admits that he was doing it with Liz Smith. He says that to the police in a more private interrogation liz smith never sells him out she never says anything about it okay Okay. and a cool story about liz smith is that she apparently as the super hot babe she had lots of lovers she was well well known to be a a loving loving woman i guess i don't know how you would say that um but she had she had had a, a a number of also white men lovers and she became pregnant with one of them and he gave her money at one point but then he went to this church revival and confessed like big air quotes confessed the sin of miscegenation with liz smith and when she found out that he had talked about their affair as something to confess as a sin she horsewhipped him in public yeah. yeah, so she seems really cool. I'm into Liz Smith. I really like her. And and a, a spoiler for the story is that she never says shit. She doesn't sell any. She never sells anybody out. And she really holds her own with the cops the whole time. And I just think Liz Smith is the true hero of the story. Because she ain't no rat. She's somebody we can all aspire to be. Yeah. An excellent lover. Someone who horsewhips shitty men in public. <laughs> There's some more stuff you'll find out about that's pretty cool about Liz Smith. So she did confirm his alibi, but she didn't sell him out because, there, you know, obviously in Indiana, it was a thing for him to be sleeping with her. And so that, you know, that would be selling them out in the context of their times. So at this point, Ray is being portrayed in the media horribly. Like he's this trespassing creepy guy who wouldn't leave this poor single mother and her babies alone who burned their house down taking her cows and whatnot and ray is kind of losing his shit a little bit yeah he's really he's really struggling and they're they've set up guards at the jail because they're afraid that people are going to pull him out yeah and uh take care of business themselves there was a lot of that when people would get locked up of of just mobs coming to the jail and pulling the person out themselves, kind of like. Right. And once they started examining the building, they saw that the fire started in one place and that they believed that an arsonist did it. At the time, they used the term incendiary, but mm-hmm. they they saw that there were clear signs of arson. Okay. And so 
it seemed like a slam slam dunk case in terms of the public perception. Ray holds out for a lot of interrogations without confessing, without saying really much of anything. Well, he has his alibi work, right? He was at work and there. He had his alibi of Liz Smith. And then he, yeah, and then he was at work. Those were his yeah. alibis. So the cops take him down to the morgue to look at the bodies because they're trying to freak him out mm-hmm. and get him to confess. That's still a tactic today. I think that's really disrespectful to people's bodies, to the victims. I, I think if someone killed them and they're happy about it, they're going to enjoy it. Yeah. And if someone is not guilty, then it's a violation of the privacy of the deceased. And also traumatizing for the person wrongfully accused. So apparently he was like shaking and got pale and was like, oh, my God, you know, totally freaked out and and said this round faced detective Smutzer says, look at your handiwork guy. And Ray's like, isn't that awful? Like he's really shaken. So he goes back to court for his arraignment and he's charged with preparation of the arson and and by extension murder of Belle Gunness and her three children because if he set the fire then he's guilty of the four murders that's the way the law works he pleads not guilty and he's held without a bond so he's being held in the jail with the guards under threat of lynch mob with the yeah. newspapers running um all of these salacious stories and they they still haven't searched the premises or anything like that, right? They're just starting to go through the house. The house is still smoldering at this point. This is super soon. And this is, to give a timeline, this is five months after Andrew Helgeline mysteriously disappeared. Okay, okay. So after that happened, Belle gets into her tiff with Ray. That tiff lasts about five months. This is in May. Or I'm sorry, this is at the end of April. So the, okay. that's how that's how long it was. At the at the end of April, her house burns down, and then the grand jury is scheduled to convene in early May. Yes. So they start going through the rubble, and they're like, none of this heat could have explained the loss of this skull. And they're really this is really confusing. So they're looking for the skull, and it granted. The house did collapse, but none of the other body parts are missing in this way. All the other skulls are there. Now, the arms and legs of some of the bodies have been burned off, you know, burned burned to the elbow or burned to the knee. But those are much smaller bones, and they don't have the round shape. The same way that an egg is protected from certain damage, a skull is protected from certain damage. And that's what's advantageous about having a round skull. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and they can't find it. And that's really weird. So they're wondering, they're not wondering about any other conspiracies besides did Ray break into the house, cut off Bel head, take it with him, and then set the house on fire. Yeah. There's no other theories under consideration at this point. And the, the limbs of the children uh, burned up. They're yeah, gone. they're not concerned yeah. about where the limbs okay. of the children are. They assume they're burned up. In the story, it comes out that Belle had really unique bridge work done. She had an upper bridge done in Chicago and a lower bridge done in LaPorte. And they were 
unique to her teeth. So there were gold caps in place and then porcelain teeth in place, and then they were bonded to her natural teeth. And the only way to take these bridges out essentially would either be to pull so hard on them that you pulled the natural teeth on either side, anchoring the bridges of upper and lower, which would be incredibly difficult. Yeah. In, in fact, the dentists that they consulted were like, I don't even know if I could do that. Wow, okay. Or to use tooth snippers that cut the tooth and cut them out. So you would have to cut the... the um, you would have to cut the remaining teeth that anchored the bridges in on either side. So it would be four teeth that had to be snipped. And you, there are living teeth. They have nerves in them. You would have to cut them to get the bridges out. So they start looking for the bridge to identify her body. But the whole head is gone. The whole head is gone and they're not finding it. So now they're looking for the bridge because supposedly even if the skull burned all the way up which why did bell gunnis's big skull burn and not the kids who have small skulls but okay yeah but the porcelain teeth supposedly wouldn't burn and the gold shouldn't melt so and incidentally this was listed as several hundred dollars worth of gold fillings which was a lot of money at the time she had she had a grill yeah, no, that's uh, that's grave diggers. They would pull the teeth out of. I think it's easier to pull the teeth out of a like rotting that. corpse, yeah. though. Yeah, definitely. I'm just saying for money. Right. So the remains of Bell Gunnis showed that her left arm was burned off to the upper third of the humerus. Right off, ar- excuse me. Right arm burned off at the shoulder. Right leg burned off at the knee. Left foot burned off at the ankle. All muscular tissue was thoroughly burned and charred. Entire right side of the torso from chest to abdomen had been burned away, leaving internal organs completely exposed. The lungs, intestines, liver, and pancreas all appeared normal, according to the report, except they were cooked, which is a nice way to put it. So one of my questions in terms of the conspiracy theories about whether or not this was Bell Gunness's body is if this body had been rotting for a period of time and then was burned... Wouldn't the organs that, you know, quote unquote, appeared normal except cooked, wouldn't they have rotted? I don't know how long it takes for organs to rot. I'm very interested now, but have not looked it up. Yes. If you're listening and you're interested, please feel free to look it up and let me know. Did she remove the head of anybody she killed? She dismembered, I not to spoil it, but she dismembered all of the bodies to fit them into the graves. Okay, so mm-hmm. I kind of see where a theory might be going mm-hmm. because she's never harmed herself before with everybody else that she's taken out. She's always wanted to live. She's always been the the survivor. So why now do the whole dying with my babies thing? Well, she is on the brink of being caught. Yeah. So at this point, Ray is being sweated. He's got all this public scrutiny and he calls for a minister and they're thinking he's finally going to confess. So this minister, Dr. Edwin A. Shell, he's going to come into play later, does go and visit him. But nothing comes of it as far as law enforcement knows. But just tuck that away because that's going to become really relevant later. Belle Gunness' sister, Nellie Larson, comes because oh. she hears about the fire. We haven't heard from Nellie since the beginning of the story. 
They haven't spoken for eight years. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's in shock. She finds out from reading the newspaper about the fire. And then before she even makes it there, the next newspaper article shows that Belle Gunnis had left all of her money to the Norwegians, the Norwegian Children's Home of Chicago. And Nellie is like, what the fuck? I brought you here. I put you up. I helped you make your way in America. And this is how you repay me. You try and steal my daughter and then don't leave me your money. Okay. So Nellie's a little miffed. Yeah. And when she gets there, she makes it known that she and her children are going to contest the will for the money. And take it away from the orphans. And take it away from the orphans. Well, not to spoil anything, but it's kind of irrelevant. The orphanage refuses to accept the money because they consider it blood money. Okay. Yeah, after. After after everything. uh, Right. So Jenny Olson's older sister, who's married now, and she's only known as Miss George Olander, they haven't seen each other since they were kids, but they've continued writing to each other. This whole time until two years ago when Jenny was supposed to go to school and then her sister stopped getting letters from her. Yes. And so her sister's been concerned. And so she starts heading to Laporte because she's trying to figure out was her sister there. There had been rumors that her sister had come back to Laporte to get married. They were just rumors. Yeah. I don't know where they started, but there were there were rumors. And so. I, when I say I don't know where they started, I actually don't mean Bell Gunnis started them. I actually mean these wild ass newspaper reporters just straight up made things up, and it makes this case super muddled. What the news lie? Yeah, the news the news lies so much. They still do, but they try and keep an air of respectability about it. They did not try and keep that air of respectability in this era. It was Fox newspaper publications. It was Hearst. It was Hearst. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's going to come, that's going to come into the story too. So she hears this rumor that Jenny Olson has left school in California and is traveling back to LaPorte. And she becomes really afraid that Jenny had come back to the house and was already there when it burned down. And so she starts making her way to find out if Jenny was in the house. Oh man, all these people still searching for Jenny thinking she's alive. She's also really surprised to find out that Bill Gunnis left all of her money and property to three of her four children and not Jenny, and then to the Norwegian children's home. She thinks that's pretty strange. She's troubled by that fact. So she's headed that way. There's a ton of people with a lot of questions about Belganis that are about to descend on Laporte. Meanwhile, Andrew Helgeline's brother, his name's, I'm not totally sure how to pronounce this, I think it's Asley. So Asley Helgeline has been writing back and forth with Bill Gunnis, trying to figure out what's going on and, get, and had been getting these weird answers from her. And she's like, I don't know. This Ray Lamphere guy stole the letters. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah. So he finds out that Andrew had his savings wired to the port. And he's like, this is not cool. And he wants to, he, first he wants to know, did he die in the fire? But he's got a weird suspicion about all of this. Yeah, he wasn't cool with him going over there and giving all of his money to the bank. He thinks it's very strange that his brother wired all of his money to Laporte, pulled it out, and then just disappeared. And Bill Gunnis is like, ah, he went, he went west. He went to Norway to go mm. see the king. He didn't like it here. And it was true that 
he did miss Norway. So she knew a lot about him, and she was able to play on that. But it still didn't sit right with his brother. When Andrew Helgling's brother gets there, I think it's Asley. When Asley gets there, he finds out that Joe Maxson, the handyman, and a neighbor, Daniel Hudson, are digging through the rubble. And he's like, let me help. So he starts digging through the rubble. So he becomes a part of this team. And they're looking for the missing head. And he's all he's looking for his brother. He's really concerned about his brother. He starts asking questions because he's got this feeling about her being a black widow. So he asks, did were there any holes on the lake this winter? Because he thinks the lake would be a good place to dispose of a body. And they say, we think the lake's been frozen solid all winter. No holes, no gaps, nothing. So okay. he kind of gives up on that, on that track. But then he goes, hmm, have there been any holes or soft spots on this property that you know of? And Joe Maxson's like, well, now come to think of it, yeah, there have been. There are. There's some, there's some garbage holes, and I don't know what's been going on with them. And Garbage holes. Yeah. He, so. He's the cat that she had him dig the holes, right? Joe Maxson isn't the – it was the – uh, it was the Polish guy. Okay. Borgieski. Who also who, got. Who dug the holes for her. Joe Maxson came later. Okay. But he might have he might have filled in a hole or two for her, but there would have been garbage on top. Mm-hmm. So as soon as Asley says, what about these soft spots? And Joe Maxson's like, yeah, come to think of it. There are some soft spots. He's like, let's go dig those up. He's like, <laughs> he, he's like, we're done digging through the rubble. My brother's yep. not in this rubble. We're going to go dig up the soft spot. So he's got, he's really clued in, this guy. So they start digging up one of the first holes that Joe Maxson remembers, and they find cans and shoes and garbage. And then they keep digging down, and then this horrible, horrible smell starts to come out of the hole. And Joe Maxson's like, well, Miss Gunnis did put a lot of tomato cans and fish cans in there, and maybe that's what it made it. That was what it made it stink okay. so bad, right? But no, I mean, especially people in this time had a better idea of what rotting corpses smelled like. Yeah, yeah. Have and you ever smelled a rotting corpse? Not a human one. Not a human one. What I understand is that because humans are so fatty, there's a different smell. Yeah. But yeah. what I also understand is that of the dead animals that I have smelled. There's a similar smell, and then the rotting fat adds another note. It's a distinctive smell of rot. There, there's people that have seen a lot of dead bodies know the distinct smell of death. Mm-hmm. That's a dead body. But sure. I think in this time, you know, this was the time that, you know, there wasn't, there were not refrigerated morgues. No. Although people's bodies were embalmed very quickly because of that. But yes. I think a lot of people had a good idea of what a rotting human body smelled like. So they start digging, and then they see a human neck. They, I mean, sorry, they start digging. They smell a smell. They see a human neck. And... I mean, what I'm picturing is there's several, a lot of bodies in her backyard, right? There are a lot of bodies in yeah, her backyard. Yeah, so there's like mounds that they're, what about that one? How about that hill over there? Yeah, so this body was, the head was separated from the torso, and each arm was separated from the shoulder down, and each leg was separated from three inches above the knee down. 
and obviously it was rotting. The face of the body, and I'm going to try and put a picture on the Instagram, but I have a feeling they're going to take it down. The face of the body, it looks like a mask. They took a picture of the head. Yeah. And the the face of the body looks like if you imagined, just in case Instagram takes it down, it looks like if you imagined taking a kind of a skull-shaped object and then taking pieces of flesh and sewing them on to make your own face. That's kind of what it looks like. It's got it looks like it has gashes all through it. That's not what they are. It's a part of the putrefaction process. Like Leatherface. It looks like Leatherface. Yeah. yeah. So it's very it's very disturbing. The the and it has a big gash through the forehead. Okay. Keep this in mind. Just remember that the gash is in the forehead because later on there's going to be a piece of information that tries to put the killing wound for this person in the back of the head. And I think so I think it's relevant that the wound is in the forehead okay. when we're looking at conspiracy theories or or solving the mystery theories. Did Miss Gunnis ever kill any women that we know of? Besides Jenny Olsen? Yeah. Yes. So, but it's complicated. She killed a woman the night of the fire. Maybe she killed her the night of the fire. Maybe, Maybe the body that was supposed to be hers was somebody else's. Maybe it was the night of the fire. Maybe it was another time. She would have had to get the body in under Joe Maxson's nose. Yeah. So that would... That, that's a complicating factor. In any case, they pulled out all the pieces of the corpse and took a look at it, and there were a lot of defensive wounds. And so it was surmised that the person had fought really hard for their life. When So there were like deep cuts on the arms all the way to the bone. When Asley Helgeline looked at it, he knew that it was his brother. He could recognize him even from this distorted face, which I think I could recognize looking at the image of this head. I think I could recognize someone that I knew that I was looking for. Yeah. In in yeah. that way. No, definitely. If if it's your brother, you definitely know. Lucky pick on on which hole had his brother in him in the first hole they dug up. Well, it was the most recent hole mm-hmm. and his brother was the most recent victim. Yeah, that's another that's another thing I was going to say. So, it does make sense that he was the first person that was dug up. So they start looking for other soft spots around the Belgunas yeah. farm. That's right? what I'm talking about. That's what I want to. And they find another one and they start digging. And just like the last one, three feet down underneath a bunch of garbage, they start finding rotting body parts, naked torsos wrapped in burlap with heads, arms and legs scattered around. So they turn the buggy shed into a morgue to try and reassemble these bodies. At this point, they found four victims, two men, one woman, and one female adolescent, all divided into six pieces each. That's her daughter. That's Jenny Gunnis. Yeah, likely. So when they found the body of the female adolescent, they, the, all the flesh was rotted off, but there was a lock of blonde hair still attached to the scalp that was the same color as Jenny Olsen's hair. And so it's assumed that that was her body. Poor thing. Poor baby. So what's, and what's really kind of haunting is that the day that they dug her up was her 18th birthday. Yeah. My little baby is 18. No, Bill Gunness is a family annihilator. 
maybe not like the uh, all at once, but if yeah. she, yeah, if she killed the three children, whether or not she killed herself in the mm-hmm. fire, then yeah, she's absolutely a family annihilator, right? Like the the pressure of whatever comes down too hard, you take the whole family out because they're yours. You yeah. own them. They're a reflection of you, an extension of your ego. You don't, though. You don't own them. Of course. I mean, in the mind of a family annihilator. Yeah. Yeah. At this time, Laporte becomes, when they start digging up bodies, Bill Gunnis goes from being hero mom to Black Widow killer. And this story that was already a national story of the fire just goes wild, right? And newspaper reporters just descend on the town and they start plugging away writing all of these stories about every single titillating piece of information and interviewing people and publishing their speculations. And it was something like within a matter of a few days, over a million words were published wow. about the story. Yeah, no, I bet. This was the story. It's like, all right, Ray, you're free to go. So, no. <laughs> Ray's not free to go. No, I know. Just because she killed a bunch of people doesn't still mean that he didn't. Right. Well, yeah. they're still there. And they're the state's... You know, the town government, the state's perspective on this is maybe Belle deserved to die. But what about the three children? And they still think Ray did it. Yeah. Yeah. There was this newspaper article that described her as the most fiendish murder of the age. And I wrote this note. Hello. H.H. Holmes existed. But OK, go off. Because what? The most fiendish he literally built a murder castle so that he could gas people and bricked them into walls and killed an untold number of people. I definitely think no matter how bad Bell Gunness is, H.H. H. Holmes is for sure more fiendish. He's a fiend. Yeah, yeah. And and also he was a sexual sadist. Like she wanted money, but he was a sexual sadist. And I think that fiend is the right word there. So... I'm personally offended on behalf of people who follow stories of serial killers that anyone would say that within a couple of years after H.H. Holmes being caught that she was the most fiendish murder of the age. I mean, fuck that guy. Like, I don't like H.H. Holmes, but I'm saying he is probably the most fiendish murderer of that age, right? I mean, with the media frenzy, they'll slap anything on uncover, so they wrote that at the time and it wasn't like people had forgotten about h.h holmes no. and bell gunness has major h.h holmes vibes all throughout the story she's got her insurance fraud and her way of doubling back on people like with the candy store and stuff like that so in any case when they go to ray lamphere and they're like so what's up with these bodies in the yard he says my god five bodies i knew that woman was bad but nothing like this There were things I noticed. I guess they were more serious than I thought. And he said that before Andrew Helgelin had got there, she told him to go to town and buy a container of rough on rats, which is arsenic. And that another time she wanted chloroform. And she said that, or excuse me, and he said that, he said that there was a man with a black mustache who'd come to the farm and he brought a big trunk with him, and after he went away, his trunk was still there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a few of those trunks. Right. He yeah. pointed out this one specifically and said it seemed kind of funny to oh, him. Oh, word. So when they asked him about the body that they thought was Jenny Olson's, he said, it must be Jenny. I never believed she was in California. I never heard of any letters coming from her. Ray said that. Ray said that. Yeah. 
And when they asked him about Andrew Helgeline, he said he didn't know anything about it. He told them everything that he knew. He said that one time she had found them talking together and she said not to talk to him. And that later she'd said, I told, later after he disappeared, she said, I told you you'd never talk to him again. And he said, I didn't know what she meant, but now I understand. Yeah, he says, I mean, Homeboy worked on her farm for years. Yeah, what right? do you think? A little do you think bit, he uh, knew more than he's before, saying he I knew? think he knew. You're scared. You got the cops like on your back and everything. And he, you you don't you don't want to say too much cuz you don't want to get yourself in trouble and you don't want it to be Yeah, I I'm pretty sure like I know it was back in the day and there wasn't as much uh I mean forensic evidence to like find stuff like that, but definitely I think he did and just turned a blind eye to it. Well, there are some theories that are going to come up, and I'm I'm interested to hear what you say as okay. more information comes out. I'm appreciating yeah. your theorizing as we go. At this time, all of Belganis's mail is being turned over to the police, and this guy's letter gets turned over to the police, and he was one of her marks. And so he gets published in the paper as this super lucky guy. She had been continuing this whole time to correspond with men and be luring them to the farm. Yeah, And so he was congratulated by basically the entire nation for his near miss with Bell Gunnis because he he had said his last letter to her oh no in this case sorry he, it was they said it was a near miss but she wasn't trying to actually have him come out because she asked him to put up a thousand dollars cash and he said he couldn't and he was like sending a letter being like but but please consider she was never gonna she was never going to be like, oh, yeah, bring your broke ass here so I can figure out how to bury your body. Like, yeah. what a pain in the ass. He wasn't worth oh, she it. She wanted that money. So I don't know if he was really a near miss, but still very titillating. At this point, they're continuing to dig up the yard and they're looking for soft spots and they find a new one. And about three feet down, just as the others underneath some garbage, they find rotting burlap and a bunch of body parts. In this case, the first skull they find has a three-inch gash, and there are sawed-off leg bones. This one's especially bad because the garbage hole that it was in is actually the privy vault, which is the toilet compost. Oh, wow. So all of these bodies are buried with a bunch of shit. Mm -hmm. Well, at least he was uh, privy enough to be buried in the privy vault. When they dug it up, they also found <laughs> they also found a dozen pairs a dozen pairs of men's shoes. And this is some this number is something to keep note of. Also, as you consider all of your different theories about what may or may not have happened on this farm, because there is evidence that she lured eight men and killed eight men. And there's a dozen pairs of men's shoes. And there are also reports that more men came. But only eight were officially hired as handymen. And only eight ended up recovered. So there are some people who say she killed more and they weren't discovered. And there are some people who say, let's not get carried away. People can have more than one pair of shoes. Right. There were eight bodies. There were eight handymen. This is pretty clear cut. Let's not, you know, if it... If you hear if you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras, or whatever. But again, a lot of people back then probably didn't have two pairs of shoes. That's true. 
two pairs of shoes was probably a luxury for a lot of people. But again, these were men with money that she was bringing to the farm. So maybe they did have two pairs of shoes. That's a luxury for me nowadays. And also what they were finding in this hole was quicklime. Did you say that's a luxury for you these days? (laughs) (laughs) I I always rock the... you I wear don't, the same I shoes, don't but buy myself two pairs of shoes. You have more than you have more shoes now by a lot than when I when I met you, you had one pair of shoes. <laughs> or you had one pair of shoes that you wore every day and then one pair of shoes that you wore to the gym, I think. Yeah. And I know. you yeah, you were so cute and busted. I was so hobo y. But now you have more pairs of shoes than that. You mostly only wear one or two, but you also lose a lot of pairs of shoes to Bailey. Bailey's my pit yeah. bull. Bailey has Let's she's taken s- out three three pairs of your shoes, two three pairs. Three pairs, three pairs. They were expensive. Let's too. not talk about the limited edition slip on vans. Yeah, I'm sorry, Bailey. You're canceled. She's just over on the couch too, like looking like she owns the place. Looking for more fucking shoes to eat. She also ate your hoodie. She did eat my hoodie. Yeah, canceled. Well, if any of our listeners are rich, which None of our patrons are rich, but if any of our Spotify listeners are rich and you want to send Dave a hoodie, (laughs) we got to get a P.O. box. I'd rock the shit out of your hoodie. (laughs) We got to get a P.O. box. Uh, When they're digging up these holes, they are finding quicklime has been put in to help the bodies decompose or hasten the decomposing. I don't like help. It makes it sound like a good thing. It's a bad thing, I guess. When they... So when they dig into this last hole, there's a whole bunch of bodies. They're all wrapped in gunny sacks. There's quicklime, but it's been poorly applied. There's pieces of flesh clinging to the bones wherever the quicklime hadn't eaten through, which sounds especially gruesome to me. Just these like chunks of like gone and then chunks of not gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As the leg bone, this is a quote from a Chicago newspaper. As the leg bones were drawn out, the marks on them revealed for the first time the horrible, insane anger which, with which the woman worked over her victims. About the joints, she had hacked them with an axe. The bones had been crushed on the ends as though they had been struck with hammers after they were dismembered. Two of the skulls were near each other. They had been buried face up. Quick lime had been scattered over the faces and stuffed in the ears. In one of the heads, sufficient quantity had not been placed and the brain remained intact. The lower parts of the bodies were decomposed and it was impossible to tell whether they were men or women. So at this time, they're having a difficult time discerning skeletal remains Yeah. from men and women. I know that there are distinctions on the skull and distinctions in the pelvis. So I'm not sure why at this point. They couldn't tell, but this is also a newspaper and not a coroner, so it could just be a bunch of shit. The uh, one reporter said, there proceeded a stench that daunts even the most resolute curiosity seeker. <laughs> These newspapers. A bunch of rotten bodies in a toilet hole. Sounds like a bad smell. There were five bodies the day before, three men, a woman, an adolescent girl. And so these bodies, there were four in this in this hole that brought the total to nine. Hey, how you doing? This is Lauren Riot from Always Carry a Body Bag, and I want to tell you one of my secrets for decorating my home. 
I'm a Cancer, and if you didn't know, home is truly where the heart is for us crabs. I, like most exennials, love thrifting and acquiring beautiful vintage pieces for my home, but curating a collection takes a lot of time and effort. And let's be honest, who has time for that, especially during a pandemic? Angelica from Found East Bay scours thrift stores for amazing vintage finds and sells them at fair and reasonable prices so that you can skip all the hassle of combing thrift stores and stopping at every yard sale in the hopes of finding a true gem for yourself. As if the cool aesthetic weren't enough, vintage home Homewares are sturdy, well-made, and environmentally friendly. Some of my prized found East Bay items are a set of hand-painted Poor Richard's Almanac tiles from the 1950s that say things like, much virtue in herbs, little in men, a gorgeous silkscreen on canvas of a moon behind a winter tree, and a black ceramic Hager statue of a mother and child. Angelica has a knack for finding the coolest stuff, and if you're local to the Bay Area, you may even score a Cheska dining set from her. From collectibles to mid-century modern pieces in amazing condition, she's got what you need to take your home aesthetic to the next level. Found East Bay ships small pieces nationwide, and locals can pick up furniture from her in Contra Costa. You can also find her at Narrative Oakland's Open Air Market on 2nd Street. Follow Found East Bay on Instagram at found.eastbay so you never miss a vintage drop. And if you score something cool, don't forget to mention that Always Carry a Body Bag sent you. Happy thrifting. Her nicknames at this time in the newspapers were pretty impressive. I feel like we've gotten way lazy with naming serial killers and murderers compared to how things were back then. Because I think there have been multiple Night Stalkers, and then you just get, like, the East Area Rapist. It's like, that's really boring and descriptive. Although, at the same time, I'm like, don't give them cool names. Fuck these people. They don't deserve cool names that make people afraid. Like, they should have, like, BTK, the Dingus Killer. They should just have, they should have really embarrassing names so that people think, like, oh, I'd fuck that guy up if he came to my house. But her name's anyway. Richard Ramirez, the gutter mouth killer. Yeah, stank breath. If stank, they just called him stanky stank, breath. St- like, yeah, stanky breath, I think people would have beat his ass a little sooner. Uh, no victim blaming implied in this because fuck that guy and all of his victims are awesome and uplifted in my eyes. Yes. Uh, they called her a modern Lady Macbeth who poured blood into her coffers and turned it into gold. The Laporte Ghoul, the Indiana Ogress, Human Vampire, the Female Bluebeard, and the High Priestess of Murder. And they also called her the Mistress of the Castle of Death, Queen of Crime, and Hell's Princess, which is what they called this book. They also called her the Vamp Killer later. Those are band names. Yeah, totally. But you can't name your band those things now because it's like glorifying a serial killer, which is definitely bad juju. Yeah. There's the Black Dahlia. Yeah. That's a, that's a but that's named after stuff. that's named after a victim. Yeah. yeah and, true, true. And I and I think I feel a little mixed on that, especially hearing some of the details of the Black Dahlia case, which we're gonna cover and hopefully the graveyard that she's buried at will be open because of COVID by the time we do, so we can do it there. Live podcast on a grave top. That's the goal, and we're hoping to just hold off on that until that's possible and do it with the utmost respect for her and her life and the story because it's a really sad story. It is. And also, like, I really, like, revere the dead. I really feel strongly about respect for the dead. Not Rush Limbaugh, though. Yeah, not Rush Limbaugh. Fuck that guy. Not, not, 
Yeah. Or Margaret I, Thatcher. I feel you. A couple but, of gender neutral bathrooms right there. Yeah, our stepdads. Just playing. Are you? <laughs> Are you, though? If my stepdad is listening, we're not talking about you. He's alive. <laughs> no, we're not. And yeah, we could probably cut this whole part. <laughs> At this time, a story comes out in the paper that Bell Gunnis is a part of this human body disposal factory chain that's coming from Chicago that the Chicago mob is sending her bodies in trunks that she's just burying in her yard. This is essentially invented by Hearst newspapers and they get a cop to go along with it, but it's just absolute bullshit. They they started running out of information. They started printing these wild ass stories. This story though gains so much traction because people are obsessed with the Chicago mob and they're obsessed with the story and their true crime obsessions are coming together in this beautiful apex. And so people want to believe that it's true. It's actually less interesting to me. But let's just be clear that the Chicago mob had plenty of ways of disposing of bodies, and they didn't need to ship them to weird widows in Indiana to bury them in her yard. But in any case, this story gets enough traction that it's going to become a part of this whole Okay. This whole thing. That's where she so, jetted to with Chicago and became a crime lord after that. I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the theory comes out of some local liverymen, and they said that in 06 and 07, they had brought a bunch of trunks to her house and that those trunks had come. There was the belief from the Chicago police that those trunks had come from Chicago and contained bodies. There were some dramatic retellings by the people who delivered the trunks, but they're pretty unreliable. So one of one of the guys, Claude Sturgis, says that he had tried to remove the ropes that were holding together one of the trunks and that Miss Gunnis, Mrs. Gunnis, ran towards him and stopped him or whatever. And this is like something beyond hearsay in terms of usefulness, right? Not even just in court, but like, what does that even mean? Like, don't go, don't open up somebody's shit. Yeah. There's all kinds of reasons that that could be true. They were removing trunks from her, from her house. They were, he was, he brought a trunk to her house and it was wrapped in rope and he went to take the ropes off Uh, of it. Yeah. And she freaked out. So if it's true, it's actually kind of a reasonable response. This is a person who can throw a hog. She can open her own fucking trunks. There was an informant who said that all the trunks contained bodies of murder victims that were murdered in Chicago. The story got picked up. She was accused of being a part of a murder syndicate and all of this stuff. I don't want to give a ton of time to it because it's so ridiculous and it was eventually debunked. Sounds cool. It sounds cool, but it's still more boring than what really happened. What or did really she happen. for sure yeah. lured people to the farm and killed them, right? Yeah. yeah. That that part is true. That part is pretty pretty solid. There's a lot of evidence for that. That's much more interesting, I think, than a murder syndicate. Like, what, she just, this lady on a farm, and she's like, yeah, sure, I got land, I'll bury your bodies. Yeah. Boring. And if that, if there were, if that was the main outcome of the evidence, I don't think we would talk about Belgunas yeah. anymore. I mean, she was... Money was her ultimate goal, which is, like, total, like, I just can't get past. Like, she literally would do anything for money. She was just stacking it and not really doing much with it either. To put it into perspective, though. 
or, or to give a different perspective, the mob, that's all they do. Mm-hmm. They kill for money. It's power, but it's also money, and money is power. So what is really the difference? And then to put it further into perspective, this was during a time shortly after, quote unquote, manifest destiny, where immigrant, you know, so like immigrants, Americans, however you want to call them, white people from Europe were moving westward and just slaughtering indigenous people by the millions. Yeah. I mean, once you start tallying it up by the millions. And so is it really actually outside of the culture? To Like, this is one of the things that I thought about this whole time. Is it really outside of the culture that she's killing men for money? And is it in comparison to what else was going on around? Is it really the big story? I don't actually know if it is really the big story. What was Indiana before Bell Gunnis was there? Who lived there before Bell Gunnis was there? And how many people died just so that she could have a farm in the first place? Yeah, no, that's interesting. At the same time, you know, she doesn't sound like a nice person. But everyone that came to that land before her, were they different? They, I don't think they were better, you know? And just everybody being there at that time. I mean, this isn't even that long after Custer's last stand. This is not, you know, this is not a time after indigenous people have been socially relegated to the, you know, the the past, the way that people think of indigenous people today. Not saying that indigenous people live in the past. They're here. (laughs) But the way that people think about it, we're not even there. There's still... There are still people living tribal life nearby. Yeah. So is she better than the people that cleared out that land? That's such a gross word for it. The genocided out that land. And and is she so separate from the culture of murder for profit? The whole country is predicated on murder for profit. So maybe I just want to put this out there. Maybe Belle Gunnis Listen, people. is living the American dream in terms of what European Americans and like European immigrants actually think it is. And the thing that's so shocking to people is just that she's murdering white people for money. And that's what's so upsetting. And that was something that I thought about a lot when I was She was just this. a lady on her hustle. <laughs> you can't knock that. <laughs> I saw this clip of Share today on Sally Jesse Raphael, and Sally Jesse Raphael says, "Are men good, or do you think men are good?" And Share says, "Like for what?" <laughs> <laughs> right. And yeah, so there's many ways of looking at this, yeah. but I just want to point out that <laughs> at the oh. time, at the time the Belgunis was doing this. She killed her daughter. She potentially killed many, all of her children, right? She's probably really terrible. But in the context of society, it was so brutal and so terrible. And I don't think we can talk about it without talking about that. Another theory emerges that all of the dissection that's been done of these bodies was done by a quote-unquote anatomical expert. And this is put forward by Dr. J.H. William Meyer. He had been a member of the Cook County Hospital and president of the Alumni Association of Rush Medical College. And he was saying that the postmortems were showing this exacting dissection 
that could only be done by somebody who had this intense anatomical knowledge. And I just want to harken back really quickly to our bonus episode where we talked about Catherine Knight, who worked in a slaughterhouse and who had this perfect skinning of her man. Yeah, yeah. And Belle Gunnis is somebody who farms hogs. I mean, you do it enough, you get some sort of precision and you learn how to do it neatly, so... And also, she practiced on animals. Yeah, yeah. I think William Meyer was just trying to become part of the buzz. I think you're right. I yeah. totally agree. I, yeah. That's that's exactly my read on it. He said it couldn't be done by an amateur, but I think this is a doctor. Maybe he's not used to slaughtering animals because I think there's a lot... Even just having slaughtered and butchered chickens myself... There was a lot of information that I got from that and also from practicing suturing on animal parts in school. There's a lot of information you get about how bodies work just from that. And she must have had so much more experience. Yeah. This guy's a grifter. I'm going to say it. He's a a grifter. Gryffindor. He's a Gryffindor. Also at this time, there start being rumors that Belle is being spotted places. And this... Oh, see, that's where I want to... Yeah. Yeah. So... There's, it starts coming out because of this murder syndicate thing that she has accomplices in Chicago. And that's a part of the beginning of this rumor mill. So there was a, originally a rumor about a cloaked figure boarding a Chicago train from the port on the morning of the fire. That's what starts it. There's a lot of reasons to believe that she may have escaped. I think with all the theories, and do we have more that that, that are going to come up? I think I have like seven more theories. (laughs) This one sounds the most reasonable. That she escaped. That she escaped. Like I said earlier, she was always the survivor. She was always the one coming out of the fires, coming out of uh, the the father being killed with the, uh, the pot in the head and stuff. She's the survivor. Yeah, yeah. They start... And she has no qualms with with taking out her children, too. We know that. Yeah. So they start a dragnet in Chicago. She's being searched for everywhere. People are reporting Bell... This is when people start reporting Bell Gunna sightings. Bell Gunna sightings don't stop for years. And, like, I want to say 10 years later, people are still reporting at least once a month a Bell Gunness sighting. So this story doesn't leave people's minds at all. People never stop looking for her around the country. I mean, she's not difficult to miss. She has a certain type of je ne sais quoi about her <laughs> According her to body. Harold Schechter, she's just a big fucking ogre. 300-pound ugly. Yeah, with a toad mouth. And, and the doc, so at this point, that also the doctor who attended Mad Sorensen's death in where were they were they they were in alma mad Sorensen's death in alma outside of chicago he's like "Mm, you know now that i think about it his death does seem a little bit like strychnine poisoning okay so he starts kind of being like "Mm, maybe i could see the symptoms that could have been i think there was a few okay maybe they didn't die this way after they dug up hella corpses backyard yeah and it makes sense that he would go back and look yeah it makes sense that he would believe her when it happened and it makes sense that after in light of all of this that he would go did i because he probably got buried in a cemetery and coffin and stuff he was buried with the babies that died that's right that's right 
then a bunch of cops are like, oh, we're going to go dig up that backyard and see how many bodies are back there. But people had already bought that house and they pulled out their shotguns and were like, the fuck you are. The fuck you are going to dig up my backyard. So that didn't end up happening. Although the cops were like, we confidently expect to find bodies in this yard. That was that's a quote. Yeah. And they probably would. And also at this time, it starts coming out about her kids. Where did they come from? Who who were they? And I don't know if you've ever heard of Amelia Dyer. Amelia Dyer is one of the more notorious women serial killers. She was a baby farmer. And so she would take in unwanted children and she would just kind of get rid of them. But she would take money for them. Yeah. And that was her that was her thing. And I. I can't remember how many, it was a lot. It was like between 30 and 50, I think, babies get and young children them, were confirmed. People? No, get rid of them. Like she killed them. Okay. She took them for money and then she just killed them. And baby farming was a common thing in this culture. There were a lot of kids that people couldn't feed. And as much as people loved their children in this time, they thought that giving them to other people would give them a better life because they thought they had it the worst that they had it. And unfortunately, that led to a lot of children who could have grown up in poverty with people who loved them being murdered or growing up with a lot of abuse and neglect unrelated to poverty. At this point, Belle is being accused publicly of baby farming. And... Yeah, kind of. To some extent, you could really say that. I don't think she took the kids for money. There is an evidence she got money for them. She took the babies because she wanted babies. Did she think of them as people? Doesn't seem like it. I think she thought of them as extensions of herself. And she thought of herself as a mother in so much as it suited her ego. And when it didn't suit her purposes anymore, she stopped being a mother by murdering her kids. That's what I think. Yeah. But there is evidence that she didn't murder her kids. So when we'll look at that. And I don't think we can cover. I don't think I can cover Amelia Dyer. I just want to say. We'll ask the fans. It's really hard. It's babies. I don't know. We'll see. I can do it. I'll cry. We'll have our uh, assistants write me up something. and uh, Or our research assistants. Our research assistants. Yeah, the babies. Yeah. Three and five. Three and six. <laughs> I don't even know how old my children are. They're like teenagers. So at this point, the mayor, and his name is Lemuel Darrow, and he'll be in the story a little bit so you can know his name. He says, there's only one solution to the mystery. Mrs. Gunnis enticed all these people here for the purpose of getting their money and then murdered them. Yes, finally, someone is talking some common sense. He said, she carried on a correspondence with countrymen of hers when she knew they were single men or widowers with money, and after making offers of marriage or other inducements, such as having a suitable farm, such as having a suitable farm for sale, she would request a visit. After she got her men to the farm, she would entertain them so hospitably that their visits were prolonged. When the time was opportune, I like how he like very tastefully is like she was banging these dudes. He's yeah, like she would entertain them that. so hospitably that their visits were prolonged. When the time was opportune, she would administer some kind of poison, probably arsenic or chloroform, and when death resulted, take her time dismembering them and burying the remains in the yard. This is the first person that really makes any fucking sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said that he believed she'd been doing it for a long time. Was and this that, also printed in a newspaper? Yeah. 
he he gave a press release, and so a lot okay. of newspapers printed this, these particular quotes. And he said that he thought that further investigation would find more bodies. And he said that he expected her list of victims to reach a score of men, women, and children. So just to add even more excitement to the story, somebody broke into the buggy shed where all of the bodies were being stored in this makeshift morgue, and then they quickly escaped out the back window. And this rumor started that people had broken in to mix up the body parts and make them harder to identify. And this played into the murder syndicate story, right? That the Chicago mobsters had come to fuck things up. Okay. It turns out it was a couple of looky-loos. They ended up catching them and they're like, we just wanted to see all these fucking bodies. Yeah. Oh, we're really <laughs> sorry we didn't. We have this podcast and we wanted to... Yeah, we had a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it was these two dudes who were like, we have a podcast, always carry a body bag. We're, just, we're trying to get the real scoop, you know? A podcast, always carry a burlap sack. <laughs> I like that. Also at this point, two young men come into town, Matthias and Oscar Budsberg, the sons of Ole Budsberg. I don't know if you remember him. Mm. Yeah, they come into town. They're described really poorly by everybody, and I'm not into it. And I, I honestly don't even feel like repeating it. I feel like it's ableist, and I feel like it's classist, and I'm not into it. But they come into town, and they're concerned because their father left town in 1907. He took, he sold his farm, he took a bunch of money, and then he disappeared. And they knew that he had a connection with Bell Gunness. So they come to town to figure out what's going on. Hey, they still show up, you know? They still came into town. They're trying to find they their dad's body. That's really what they're thinking. Being poor or not. Yeah. The the newspapers describe people as if they're characters in stories and not real human beings without any concern for what that means both socially and for the individuals. And I just don't actually feel like repeating it. That happens a lot with uh, people that grew up with serial killers and telling their story of their childhood. Yeah, they were poor. They came to school in rags. They were dirty all the time. Just really talking down on like a lot of Mm -hmm. people. I know they're serial killers and what they did was horrible. Yeah, it was the same when this author is describing Belle Gunness's letters and talking about how she made spelling errors and grammatical errors and her handwriting was bad. Mm-hmm. It was like she grew up on a farm that literally didn't have wood for fire, so she gathered twigs. Like, sorry she wasn't fucking, you know, I don't I, know, I really, a Bronte sister. <laughs> I really hate that shit. Nobody's better than anybody. She's a terrible person because she's a serial killer. Whether or not she can write well is very relevant yeah. to all of it. So I don't know if you guys remember the story about Ole Budsberg, but she had ended up, he had ended up selling the farm and, and coming out. And then she had told his sons that she didn't know where he was at this point, that he had gone to Chicago and got robbed of all of his money and then gone out west. She, he really got robbed of all of his money in Laporte, I think. Because, well, we'll see. When Matthias and Oscar get to the, when they get to the buggy shed and they look at the bodies, they take a closer look at some of the bodies and they see their father's, what they called a tangled red waterfall mustache and they know that it's his body and so they found him and it's very sad and 
I don't, I'm not going to post a picture of that. I don't have a picture of that one, but I, I think I can post a picture of Ole Budsberg yeah. in his alive state. I don't have any, I looked, I don't have any pictures of Matthias and Oscar. I thought that would be real cute, yeah. but I don't, I don't have any pictures of them, but yeah, they found him in the shed and that's very sad. They were absolutely sure that it was him. Now the newspapers are starting to make their own theories. We've got all these running theories. We've got the Ray Lamphere fire. We've got the murder syndicate in Chicago. We've got the Bell Gunnis, Black Widow Loring men theory. And so the New York Times puts out the four main theories, and I'm going to read them. At this point, just to catch up, theory number one, that Mrs. Gunnis Fearing exposure of her long murderous career, killed her three children and herself, setting fire to the house to conceal the crimes. Theory number two, that Mrs. Gunnis, fearing exposure, fled after killing her children, putting the headless body of another woman in the house to mislead authorities. I see you nodding. That's the one you like, yeah, huh? Yeah, theory two. Theory number three, that Ray Lamphere, her farmhand, did the killing from a double motive of revenge and jealousy. Theory number four, that the quadruple crime was committed by a murderous gang with headquarters in Chicago who feared exposure by Mrs. Gunnis of a long series of murders for insurance, she being used as their clearinghouse for corpses. So these are the prevailing theories that the public are working with. The cops are still, they basically seem to think Bell was doing this scam as the OG Craigslist killer. And Ray Lamphere killed her and her kids. Yeah. The the local Laporte cops are, they're not really budging from where they were at. The discovery of all the bodies hasn't changed their theory about the fire. But she has, she has no history of anything Chicago-y. She does have a history of fire. Well, she was in, she lived in Chicago. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, oh, that's right. Where the candy store was. Yeah. Yeah. And she did an arson in Chicago. So she does have a history of arson. The original cop who put out the crime syndicate, murder syndicate theory does a public about face and is like, I was wrong. This is not right. He's it's mostly because he talked to Sheriff Smutzer, the round faced guy with the dapper clothes or whatever. And if we can get a picture of him, we'll post a picture of him. Yeah, I should look for a picture of him. I, I haven't come across one, but I'll look for one before this goes to press before this goes to spotify so smutzer convinces him this murder syndicate thing is garbage and he actually publicly does an about face on it which is kind of unusual i think he says i no longer believe that mrs gunnis was the agent of a gang of murders or that she ran a baby farm to go a little further he also said it appears certain that she herself killed the suitors whose bodies were found in the farmyard graves That she could have lured and killed more than a dozen men in this way is entirely plausible. I believe she answered letters from men of her own nationality and invited them to her farm. There she showed them the abundant fields. The prospect was pleasing. The abundant fields. (laughs) (laughs) The prospect was pleasing. (laughs) So much accomplished. The rest was not so difficult as might be supposed. A little chloral in a glass of beer or coffee brings a quick death. So does a well-directed blow with a hammer or hatchet. (laughs) There is no reason why she, a strong woman, could not have buried them as well. Her farm is far from the nearest neighbor. Again, I do think that this is the most 
plausible and obvious thing. Although he did say, the same cop did say, I cannot believe that she is dead. She was too expert a criminal to be caught that way. She may well be in Chicago. So he didn't think Ray Lamphere killed her. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's like a theory inside of a theory. Yeah, that could have been, but yet still could have thrown another body in there. Yeah. He felt like she was a very sophisticated killer. And I'll say, personally, I don't think she was that fucking sophisticated. I just think people just really... She would say the wildest shit and people would just be like, okay, I guess I have to go milk the cows now so I don't have time to worry about whether or not this is bullshit. Yeah, and and, and lots of times I think it was, she's she's a woman, they would never, you know, and and just give her, give her the pass. Right, absolutely. Remember when she was, when Ray was on trial... And then she was being cross-examined by his defense attorney, and everybody was like, "Oh, this poor woman that's being badgered." Yes, yes. But I and like the, nowadays, I think there would be more because there's been. Well, more. nowadays our idea of equality is just shitting on women all the time and being like, "It's fine because it's equal." I mean, that's always been. <laughs> equal, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> At this point, there's a. There's a sighting of Belgunis that seems to have a little bit of credibility from a pharmacist who says she came in to buy morphine four or five days after the house burned down. And he was like, I'm sure it was her. Everything matches. She had burn marks on her arms and everything. I mean. <laughs> she needed morphine to feel better. He said the nose, the mouth, the eyes, etc., are the mm-hmm. same. There were there were a few other sightings, but this one had enough credibility because probably because he was a pharmacist to to have some documentation behind it. So Schildler believed that Bell staged her own death and went to Chicago. The mayor of Laporte, Lemuel Darrow, who we talked about earlier, they he didn't believe that she had. He and Pretty much all of the local cops believed that she died in the fire. Whether or not they really believed she died in the fire or they felt like what they needed to do as a town was to come together, convict Ray Lamphere, and close the close the books, I guess, on Belle Gunnis and this whole story. I, I think if she was at large... Then there was this murderer from Laporte, and that was always going to be their town legacy. And if she died in the fire and they convicted Ray Lamphere, then it was just, you know, I'm making the gesture of, like, wiping my hands. Like, closed case. You know, all sealed up. Laporte can do other things. And so there I think there was a motivation for them to say that she had died. Easier to do that. Right. Which happens a lot, and that's when people get wrongfully accused for. I do think Smutzer really do. believed she died in the fire. Okay. Just, just a guess on his. Yeah. How how emphatic he how emphatic he was, how much he pushed on it, how steadfast he was in that, that story. That she did it herself. That she died in the fire. Okay. If they, but if they admitted that she was still alive, they were putting together a case against Ray Lamphere. Now, all of this stuff has happened. It hasn't been like a week, <laughs> you know? Yeah. This has not been a long span of time. They're building a case against Ray Lamphere. It's only May 7th. The fire happened on April 28th. 
Wow. Okay. So that's right. how much time has passed. The entire country is having sightings and there's speculation from doctors and there's all of this stuff is going on. There's four theories now in a short period of time. And in the town, the prosecution for against Real and Fair, a little port prosecution is saying that they absolutely have witnesses to prove that Lamphere was around the house, that he was seen running away, that this was due to a disagreement over Andrew Helgeline, and that Lamphere was implicated in the murder of Helgeline, and they have evidence of it. This is what they're saying publicly. And at this point, they also say he'll be on trial within three weeks. So all of this, all of this is taking place in this super short period of time. These reporters especially like all these reporters that have descended all these chicago newspaper reporters and new york times newspaper reporters and stuff they must have had really tired hands from all of these wild ass stories they were writing i mean they're it's like the crime of the century the hotels are full of reporters yeah and it's about to get even more wild on may 8th they find another they start digging up another soft spot and they it's been raining that's that's another complication to the story is that it started raining in may but one cool thing is that the ground is soft so they're able to dig up these soft spots a little bit easier and they find a gunny sack and it's full of jelly and bones which is yucky and there's some dark hair sticking to the skull. This body, like all of the other ones, has the the legs sawed off two inches above the knee. The arms are severed at the shoulders. The coroner looks at it and says from the size of the bones and dimension of the skull that it's probably an adult male. But there were two pairs of women's shoes that were tossed in the pit with the body. Okay. I don't know what that means. It's just one of those other notes to add to your compiling theory notebook right one of the stories about finding this body is that this old man with a long gray beard was pulling a wagon with a young child in it and they found the body there's a crowd been gathered around the farm every day this whole time every time they find something there's like people being like oh they found a body yeah and apparently this old man just like i'm sorry he's got a wagon with two toddlers in it (laughs) And he runs towards the pit and like tips over the wagon and the kids all fall out and he just ignores them and runs over to see the dead body. <laughs> so just to give an idea of the wild frenzy that's happening in Laporte around the farm, he just left the kids crying. They didn't there. even uncover like a family member of his or anything. No, no, just fascinated. Body. In another story in the future, there's a woman who comes from out of town to come see the murder site or whatever, and she ends up like falling out of a wagon and breaking her arm. Oh, <laughs> People were just really interested in this story. But with all of these bones, there was only one skull in the grave. So at first, they thought it was all the bones of a single person. But the coroner said, if all those bones belonged to one person, you'd have a monstrosity, some someone 10 or 12 <laughs> feet high. So he recognized that at least one skeleton was that of a woman. So placed in different buckets, they took the skeletons, trying to sort them out appropriately. And they were put in the improvised morgue to try and figure out who was who at that point. Now that this story is getting all of this national recognition, 
people start writing in to the local town police asking about their missing sons. Okay, yeah. And so a number of people have stories that sound like their sons could have gone missing on the farm. But given the condition of the bodies, there aren't a lot of answers for them. And so I don't think it's important to read all of the stories of all of the different all of the different men who went young, mostly young men who went missing. We do have some confirmation of some of the victims. I, so I, we had Andrew Helgleen, Ole Budsberg, and then Olaf Lindbow and Henry Gerholt, who we talked about. They were also correctly identified yes. as victims. The, the ones where people wrote in trying to figure it out, pretty much none of them were ever confirmed. So these people just had missing sons. It's really tough to say if Belle Gunness had a hand in any of it, especially without correspondence from her. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's what happened when a lot of family members, children especially, go missing. You know, people just hold on to this hope that maybe their children for closure was one of these people. And I think that's what that was. And, and, and they probably weren't. A lot of these sound the really credible, too. Okay. They're like, I'm going to see a rich widow in Indiana. Oh, and there is is record of them saying that. They said that to their loved ones. I'm going to a rich widow in Indiana, but not I'm going to Belle Gunness's house. But in some instances, there were direct connections. So in one, there was uh, there was a guy named Christian Hilkvin of Dover, Wisconsin, and he abruptly sold his farm and took the money and he said that he was going to see a widow in Indiana and there was evidence of correspondence with Bell Gunness. His body was never confirmed, but it's believed that he's one of her victims. Yeah. I mean they had just piles of bones and limbs and everything. They couldn't piece them together. Right. All of them together. It's, it's really tough given that there's no there's not even blood typing or anything like that. There's mm-hmm. just no Unless someone can identify the body, then there's just no no telling. Even with Jenny Olson, the only thing that, you know, quote unquote identified her was that everybody said it must have been her because there was one lock of blonde hair. Yeah. And uh, nobody was coming home from California on spring break. Right. Jenny's gone. Yeah. She's nowhere else. So it, it was, I'm, I'm sure it was her. There were people who... There is a story there. This is also a time that a lot of close calls start getting published in the paper because they're running out of stories. And one of Jenny's friends says, like, oh, she invited me to the farm. Like, oh, her mom was probably going to kill us both or whatever. She honestly, she probably wouldn't have. But I can totally understand being like, holy shit, I almost went to the murder farm. I'm going to go give an interview to the newspaper about it. Do we hear from uh, her boyfriend who tried so hard to keep in contact with her? Um, oh yes, Emil Green- yes. Greening. I think his yeah. name is Emil Greening. Um, I don't know if we he. Don't hear I don't from think him. he really. I think there may be a quote from him finding out that she died, being like, "Oh man, that's really sad," or yeah. something. But the, yeah, we don't really hear from him again that I remember. There was a guy who did have a close call that was truly a close call. He had been corresponding with Bell in 1906. She had been satisfied with his financials. She was telling him what to do. She told him to like sell his land and bring cash and join her in Laporte. 
And she also said that they would get married. And when he got there, he went to the bedroom on the second floor and fell asleep. And he woke up in the middle of the night and she was hovering over him. And he said something to her and she ran out of the room and he was totally freaked out, didn't go back to sleep and left the next day. Right on. So he ended up getting away. The quotes about it are really interesting. They're like, when he entered the death chamber. (laughs) (laughs) I love all the the dramatic newspaper stories. There continue to be stories of Belle being spotted in Chicago. I can't imagine she would go to Chicago. If she got away, I can't imagine she'd go to Chicago where it's... Populated area. Super populated and everyone in the world is looking for her. Some of these stories are pretty fascinating, though. Like... A woman who matches her description went into a restaurant with a man and the waitress gave them a copy of the newspaper with Belle Gunness's photo on the front and they got really weird and they left and she looked like Belle Gunness and whatever the waitress reported it. Those are fun stories, but it's like, who knows? All these sightings, why didn't anybody stop her? Would you? Oh, you're six two. Maybe you would. Yeah, I'm like. Would you? But I mean, you're in Chicago. There's a bunch of people. But would you be a snitch? It's like witnesses. Would you be a snitch? Oh, look at your face. I know. I mean, she she took out babies. I know she took out babies. I know she did. It's a little different. So now we're going through all of this forensic evidence. There's gonna be some some things that come to light about the forensic evidence. This reporter from the Chicago Tribune makes his way into the embalming home. Andrew Cutler is the embalmer. He And he's going to come up again. He measures the corpse of Bell, you know, quote unquote, Bell Gunnis in front I'm of this reporter. About. Right. And when he tape measures it and tries to allow for the missing head and feet, he calculates that in life, she probably would have been five foot two inches in height and weighed around 130 pounds. Mrs. Gunnis stood at least five foot seven inches tall, and most people believe she was over five foot nine, and she weighed at least 280 pounds. That was according to her doctor visit, that she was 280 pounds yep. at her last visit. So the newspaper was very excited to proclaim, there's no way that this is Belle Gunnis. She must be alive. That's another thing I was going to try and bring up um and with it missing the body part she hacks up all of her other bodies she she takes off limbs she takes off heads how many how many bodies burn in fires start missing legs after i know you burn a while but were the i guess my question would be how many of the children's limbs were missing similarly because their limbs would have been smaller and burn more quickly and again back to the organs appeared normal except cooked kind of sticks with me because I don't know how fast organs decay. She clearly killed women. They found other women's bodies there. So, you know, was it somebody else's body? Maybe. But, like, when, I guess, would be the question. And how much? And and, and where are the teeth? Yeah, yeah, We'll definitely. get there. We're going to, we're, we're, not to spoil it, we're going to find the teeth somewhere. And... Do you, do you know how long it takes for a bigger body to burn? They're like when fat burns, it takes a long time for it to burn down. But fat, but here's the thing, fat burns as a fuel source. So would would her body fat burn more of her bone than the children's who had a lower body fat? Give more to 
burning her body, cooking her body. Heating it up to a higher temperature for longer. Maybe. So maybe the fact that she was a bigger person would indicate that she would lose more bone. That's a good question. I want to know the yeah, answer to that. Yeah. We got to look at that documentary on the that body farm where they decompose all the bodies in all kinds of different ways to figure out oh, how they yeah. work. Although I think they just decompose. I don't think they burn any. I don't know. I want to know. I'm going to kind of skip over some of my notes on some of these wildly eugenist, bullshit ass, like this was the time in the U.S. where eugenics was really starting to take hold and so there was a lot of psychology on criminal types that is just wild and also there was a lot of pseudoscience that was related to body type head shape ethnic origins etc that was really meant to fuel this eugenist movement and then there were these they're essentially they're also grifters these like psychoanalysis people who would do they were doing criminal profiles of people like bell gunnis but they were saying absolutely wild shit like for example Women ha- woman has many traits in common with a child. Like it, she is vindictive and jealous. Only in ordinary cases, these defects are naturally neutri- neutralized by piety, by maternity, and by less ardor in the passions, by weakness, and by undeveloped intelligence. I don't even really oh want This is just the beginning of the that statement. The, that's not the writer saying that. No, that no, was, no. This is someone who commented on... A, a famous psychologist who commented on Bell's mental state. And there was also a lot of work with, interestingly, her skull was gone, but there were a lot of phrenologists, which is that studying the shape of the skull. I don't know if you remember that from My Girl. This is also like eugenicist absolute bullshit. And they played into this, and it was really just about these grifters making a name for themselves and giving papers another headline to run. Yeah. And I... Honestly, I don't really want to give a lot of time to it because it's just such bullshit and fuck these people and may they go down and honestly, like, I don't want to say, like, that they go down being completely unremembered because we have to remember the damage that they did, but, like, who wants to hear it? They just wanted their 15 minutes and theorized and said, mine's correct. Right. They. I mean, they, they're grifters. They want to make a name for themselves. They want to hop on. They have no actual information or expertise to offer. They're just full of shit. When they did the postmortem on Andrew Helgeline, they took out his stomach, liver, and kidneys, put them in a jar, and sent them to Rush Medical College. The doctor there said that he had one and a half grains of strychnine in the stomach, which was a quantity sufficient several times over to have produced death, along with a considerable amount of arsenic. Now, it turns out that they also sent some of the, they sent the stomachs of Balganis and the children to a doctor to be examined. And they were so decomposed at that point that he had to mash them all together. And then try and figure out what was inside them. Just to Cliff's notes this, when he did that, he found arsenic. That's what I was thinking too. Like how can you get the children to be so so calm and stable if you were trying to kill them? Well, not to just you know, totally jump ahead. Take them out before you burn them up. They were dead before they burned up. But 
It turns out that the embalmer had treated all of the bodies with arsenic immediately upon receiving them before oh, the stomachs were removed. Way to fuck it up, guys. But the strychnine was something that the embalmer had nothing to do with with Andrew Helgeline. Okay. But in terms of Belgunis and the kids, they probably did not have arsenic poisoning. It was probably postmortem from the embalmer. Got it. But the way that this... Sorry to ruin all of the suspense of it. The way that this story developed was like, whoa, they found arsenic. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They were poisoned by arsenic. And then I was like, well, I'm just... Technically, I did spray them with arsenic because normally an embalmer would be putting chemicals into the cardiovascular system, but the bodies were too decomposed. And so he literally sprayed the bodies with arsenic. And then they... After that, they took out the organs for evaluation. It's like, well, I may have. I mean, he wasn't, he was just like, yeah, what did you want me to fucking do? These bodies were rotting. I'm an embalmer. You sent them to me. I embalmed them the best that I could embalm them. There's arsenic. That's how we do it. Like, what? <laughs> so right around this time, there's a sighting of a Belgunis lookalike on a train. And long story short, this poor woman is accosted by the police and turns out to not in any way be Belgunis. And she ends up suing for $50,000. No. Because they get the, these guys see her on the train and then she goes into her sleeping compartment. By the time the police come, she's undressed, sleeping in her sleeping compartment, totally closed off. And they burst in on her and she's got to get dressed and go to jail to answer questions about how she may or may not be, you know, the ogress of Indiana. Yeah. So she sued them for $50,000 and she was very like... It was an ordeal. She was very like. My word. Yeah. And good for her. Fuck these cops for like coming up on her. I did mean, she get $50,000? I don't know if she got $50,000. I hope she did. Also, for how much the public was like, Belle Goddess is so ugly. All of these women that kept being mistaken for her must have been like, fuck <laughs> you guys. <laughs> I'm suing. When the when the Chicago Times asked her about her experience, she said, "Oh, what can I say? It is too awful." Which good for her. In Laporte, at this time, the sheriff's deputies have brought in Pinkerton detectives to help figure out what the fuck is going on. They basically they're sh- still sure that Belle Gunness is dead. They think Ray Lamphere is her accomplice or occasional accomplice and that he killed her. And they're really convinced that they're going to hang him, that they're going to convict him of murder and he's going to hang. He's being portrayed in the media at this time as being fully out of his mind. He's just getting slammed in the media. They say... That he cries out at night. She's pointing her finger at me and she's saying, I'll get you yet. I'll get you yet. His lawyer, his lawyer, Wirt Warden. I think that's a funny name. Wirt Warden? Wirt Warden. W-I-R-T. Wirt Warden. (laughs) Wirt Warden. Incidentally, Wirt Warden is a good fucking lawyer. Okay. We'll get to it. Yeah, I I don't want Ray to be hung. Do you want me to spoil it? No. Yeah. He's not going to get hung. Okay. Wirt Warden, as good of a lawyer as he is, describes his client as a man of mediocre mentality without criminal proclivities. He's basically like, my guy's too dumb to do this. That got him off the hook. It did not get him off the hook, but... Oh, he was firing squad, not hung. Yeah. Wirt Warden says of his two theories about Bell Gunnis, he says, 
One is that Mrs. Gunn is thinking that Lamphere may have discovered things that would incriminate her and knowing further that Asley Helgeline was coming to make an investigation, sought to cover up all evidence of her crimes and escape with her own life, if possible, and that she, in carrying this out, murdered the three children, placed them on the cellar floor with the adult corpse found, and fired the building and escaped. The other theory is that Mrs. Gunnis, foreseeing the culminating of events upon the arrival of Helgeline, decided to end her own life and at the same time cover up all em- cover up all evidence of prior crimes and to do so, killed her own children, fired the house, and committed suicide. In either event, Lamphere, as I firmly believe, is innocent of any crime. He is simply a victim of circumstance. So that was the stance that he took. And overwhelmingly, this is what people throughout the course of history, tend to believe about the story. That it was a suicide? That she did one of those two things. How do you cut your head off? The head burned up in the fire in this scenario. Yeah. There continued to be sightings of Belgunas. There was also a sighting nearby in Elkert, Indiana, of a Scandinavian woman with a, a large number of gold teeth who was masculine in appearance and large, but... It was not a fruitful search to see if this person was Bell Gunnis. There was even a sighting of her in Chiapas in Mexico. Oh, a woman traipsing through Chiapas dressed in men's attire. Ay, mira, ese son Belgones. <laughs> so there was a psychic who came to figure out what had happened. And he said that all he needed was something that had been in Ray Lamphere's possession. And he'd be able to tell the the hiding place of Bell Gunnis and He'd be able to just clear everything all up. Apparently he didn't because there's no other information. <laughs> there was also another psychic who said that she had figured out from studying the Zodiac that Belgunis was either in Michigan City, Fort Wayne, Indianapolis, or Terre Haute, and that she would be in a livery barn in one of these cities dressed as a man and doing man's work. Okay. I don't think it would be easy for her to be disguised as a man. I don't think so either. She's the round-faced sheriff. She's the... <laughs> That's <laughs> who she she's is. the round-faced sheriff. There we go. How good were binders back in the day? Because I think she had boobs. She had titties. I think she did. It became so common during this time for people to say that they had seen Bill Gu- Belle Gunnis that one newspaper reporter was like, maybe all large women should just stay home to avoid being misidentified as Belle Gunnis, which is... I mean, it does sound pretty fucked up that, like, these poor women can't just go out of their house being, you know, Sarah plain and tall and going about their business without being accused of being Belk on a Got everybody saying that they're ugly. Right. Do you remember Sarah plain and tall? Mm-hmm. Did you have to read mm-hmm. that in school? <laughs> Another said that Belle had been seen so many different places at almost the same time that she had solved the problem of rapid transit. <laughs> so... There's this question of the skull and there's this question of the teeth because the teeth are the her dental records. Not everybody's dental records are really identifying at this time, but hers are. So where are the fucking teeth? And so the on May 9th, just to give another little timeline update, the last time we checked in, it was May 7th. It's only been two days. It's May 9th. They hire this prospector. His name is Louis Schultz. And they hire him to look for her gold teeth. I don't know exactly how this makes sense that they hire a prospector to look for her gold teeth, but okay. It was back in the day. You look for gold. Hey. We're looking for gold teeth and a bunch of ash. So could you help us out? So they gave him 
some information about it and he starts going through the ruins and they keep they keep looking on the property and they keep looking in the house and they're not finding any evidence of new bodies at this point. I think they have 10. They wow. have eight men and two women or a woman and an adolescent female. There are chemicals that can illuminate gold when you're looking for it. Like what? I forget the name of it, but prospectors used to pour it in rivers and lakes and stuff like that. And then it would like give like the shimmer after a while. You can't use a lot of it because it's very dangerous. I don't think it's like. That it's sounds like, terrible for the environment. It's horrible for the environment. Well, fuck the gold rush then. Yeah, I mean, no. I already kind of thought that. Kind of. I already really, really thought that. And s- if you're interested in being like, fuck the gold rush, read Tending the Wild. It's a great book that's in Dave's Chrome bag that he hasn't read yet. It's one of my most favorite books, Tending the Wild. You haven't read it yet, huh? I've read a little bit Have of you? it. Have you? Good. So with all of these sightings of Belgunas everywhere, and we've got this prospector looking for her teeth in the rubble this is where we're gonna have to leave it for episode three we're gonna have to make this a four-parter yeah no we had a lot of good stuff to talk about we didn't think we were going to but hey looks like you're just gonna have to get another podcast from us hopefully we can do it a little faster than we've been doing it but life is really hard and there are children and there is covid pandemic that is sweeping the globe and there's life work yeah work yeah we had a uh, minor, very minor family emergency with my mom. Everything yeah, is fine definitely. with my mom. My mom is great. And my parents have had both of their vaccines and I got to hug them. And I just want to say that that was really great. And I feel a lot less despair about the world now. Whoop, whoop. I'm getting shot up uh, Saturday. so. And I've had my first shot. And for all the always carry a broomstick people, Persephone's had her first shot today. So... Mm. We just want to thank my middle child for having me a health condition that allows us to all get our shots to, yeah. to protect his life. Thank you, middle child. And we also want to thank anybody who's getting those shots as soon as they can, whenever they can, because they're also protecting his life because he can't get the fucking vaccine yet because they haven't figured it out for kids yet. That's rude. I think that should be a priority, especially because they're transmitters. Get on it, people. Get on it. So we have just a tiny bit of business. You can follow us on Instagram at ACA Body Bag. You can follow us on Twitter at ACA Body Bag. You can send us a Gmail at ACA Body Bag at gmail.com. <laughs> and you can subscribe to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ACA Body Bag. You did it. I'm so proud of I you. Got it. Good job. Unlock. Also, Man, the dog is jumping. Bailey, stop licking my hand. Just pet her for a second. Also, we just want to give one more shout out to our first sausage king that isn't me, Katie. And now I'm going to go after this. I'm going to go unsubscribe to her Patreon. So we're going to have only real patrons and not me, which is a little sad because I won't get all of the emails. One of you know when you read an email, like you send an email and then you op- reopen it to read it from the eyes of the person that you send it to. Yeah. So yeah. I'll post things to the Patreon, and then I get an email notification that something was posted to the Patreon, and then I go to the Patreon as if I'm a patron and see it from the eyes of the patrons. I won't have that experience anymore, but I won't be paying ten dollars a month for that experience either. Here we go, and if anybody wants to. Uh subscribe again we have some special treats being worked on at the moment that uh 
we'll send your way. I know we're kind of moving a bit slow, but hey, this is our first podcast. So Also, like, again, this is just such a hard fucking time to get shit done. But we're working on stickers to send out to our people. We are going to get there. If you're a patron, you're going to get one. And again, if you're not. So we had our Sinister Six. But now we need a name for our seven because Katie's our first sausage king. We got a lumper in yeah. with the f- original seven group. So Magnificent go- seven. What about a S word? The Mag- super sexy seven. Okay. <laughs> Magnificent right. seven's a thing. I In comics? It's a thing. It's the old western. Uh, and the Clash have a song. The and, Magnificent and it's Seven? Magnificent Seven. You don't know. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a thing. All right. I'm a dork. No, great. I'm glad you're a dork. I'm glad that you can dork the things I don't dork. Oh, We're like. Well, I'll dork the things you dork <laughs> if you want. <laughs> dork my dork? I'll dork your dork. Well, it's kind of nice because I have my dork things and then you have your dork things and then occasionally our dork things come together like around true crime and. And like conspiracies and stuff, but it's nice for me that I don't have to be the dork expert on all the dork things. No, no, I can I can dork it up enough for the both of us. Well, anyway, our not sinister, our super sexy, magnificent seven. We've got to get what we need. What we need is for somebody to who has a really cool artist friend who has nothing better to do with their time than to design us merch for a literally free because money is hard to come by in the world so that we can print t-shirts so that we can send our super sexy magnificent seven testers of our merch and then have that available to other people but you guys have to send us artists first because i don't know if you know this but apparently artists like to get paid money and We're working on having that from this podcast, but we don't yet. <laughs> right now we have money for the T-Mobile bill. We're working on it. Yeah. yeah. Our T-Mobile bill, by the way, just went it went down like $10 a month. High five. High five. All so, right. Anyways, if you've listened to this after a two-hour podcast, then what's wrong with you? Have a nice life. We'll see you in part four of Bill Gunness. I can't believe we made this part four. Again, Peace out. Bye.